Hello everyone and welcome to Golden Walkman Magazine. My name is David Walker bringing you the first issue of April 2020 and it is fiction. Um, we have a wonderful piece of fiction by Jonah Andrist and um, I, I don't really want to say too much about it. I just want to kind of get into it and, and just reiterate as I will um, until this thing kind of subsides is that I hope that you guys are staying safe uh, and staying healthy. Um, but this uh, this uh, story is uh, first time I read it was a was a nice uh, snapshot of an interesting moment of uh, these characters lives. And um, this one is is actually not read by the author. This is a surrogate reader piece. Um, so if you want to know more about the surrogate reader process, uh, to become a surrogate reader or to find out about the surrogate reader, uh, in this issue, please go to our website, goldwalkmag.com. Um, and, uh, yeah, let's just get to the story. It is called Good Listener by Jonah Andrist. Hope you enjoy it. Good Listener by Jonah Andrist. It's a long drive back to their house. The highway is empty and beautiful in the dusk light. On their left are two large buttes, half gold, half dark in the setting sun. Far in the distance they can see mountains, deep shadows and their ridges. Their home is near there, but it will be another two hours, well into the evening before they reach it. Some days, when Michael is driving back from work, he turns his car into a dirt road, parks, walks a little while, staring at those mountains. Their valleys create interesting textures of light. Browns become golds, and the greens of the sagebrush and juniper trees shine emerald. Michael, in these moments, wishes he was a painter. A photograph would, of course, be fine, but he wants to be more connected to the colors wants to think that he could recreate them, live in them. A beautiful painting of this, their mountains and the dusk light, how could that not sell for a million dollars? Trish, sitting next to him in their ratty aged foreign compact, is not saying anything. Only recently she had a stranger poking around her genitals, so Michael understands. It was uncommon for her to be this quiet, however. This had not been a great year. He had to take a few brutal lashings of tongue. Deserved, probably. Michael didn't like to think it, but he wondered what was going to happen now, without the money. The problem was that they had lost twice. Being a surrogate mother was going to give them the financial freedom to have children of their own. It was confirmed that the first child would not be coming, which obviously put into question all future children, too. Michael wondered what it might be like to not be poor. He was the one who had brought the idea to Trish about the surrogacy. The payment on com completion was $40,000, 10 to live on. Would they have to give that back now? Half of it was spent. Michael guessed it would be rude to ask for that money back, 
Trish would fight it. He wouldn't have to. He could hear the conversation on the phone in his mind. Trish standing in the boxy little living room, sloped down noticeably the slope on the property that was good for drainage. Michael didn't mind. It made the TV look bigger. Once he had found the right angle. Trish would yell into the phone. I'm the one sick to my stomach every morning and you're asking me for money? No, they wouldn't have to give the money back. It was the small victories, the battles and the ongoing struggle for humanity. I think you should talk, Michael said. You know I'm a good listener. Trish didn't move. She was sitting upright and looking straight ahead. The road hummed under the tires. They didn't turn on the radio. The little bumps in the road bounced the tailpipe up and down, creating metallic clacks. One day soon, they'd lose the muffler if something wasn't done. The sun went down, and the half-crescent moon could be clearly seen in a cloudless sky. Michael realized that he had not turned on his headlights. He clicked the knob on the steering column, and as soon as the beams of light touched the dark road, a tiny figure darted out from the brush near the highway and, whap, got smashed under the tires. What was that? Trish asked, finally speaking, turning her head. It had been a small, white-down little creature. Probably a rabbit, Michael said. Oh, let's turn back. Maybe it's alive, Trish whined. On the highway? Michael made no move to slow or change direction of any kind. The poor thing? Trish looked out her passenger window. She shrieked in fright as another rabbit darted in front of their car crossing through the bright headbeams, narrowly avoiding being hit by the hard, dark tires propelling them forward. Jesus, Trish said. Michael thought, uh-oh. In their part of the country, it happened that every few years, perhaps five or three, the jackrabbit population boomed. So numerous they became that you could herd them like cattle. In the late fall, they could take down 40-foot stacks of hay overnight. Farmers would pay for men to camp out with rifles. One year, they were so badly overpopulated, people from the town walked them into corrals and beat them with blunt objects. A journalist from New York City came and made implications on the morality of the rural character. As if they felt good about doing it. As if they had encouraged the rabbits, implying they took some perverse joy in clubbing helpless little herbivores. Michael had never been involved in any of this, but he'd heard the stories. He did not work on a farm. He was a school teacher and one of the few people around who felt some sympathy with the lady journalist's reaction. Certainly something more humane could have been done, like poison or a drone strike. No, no. Another rabbit darted in front of the car. Then another. The back right tire catching it in a quiet whomp. Trish yelled, What are they doing? The other, the other side of the road, Michael thought. They could see the rabbits now, congregating on the shoulders, transfixed and scared, looks as the headlights passed over them. Wham, womp, one after the other. Oh no, oh no, no, Trish squirmed in her seat. Michael worried about popping a tire or one of the, their corpses catching the muffler, blowing it down the road. Stop, Michael, please stop. She never said his name. It sounded strange. We've just got to make it through, dear. A rabbit ran and leaped, smacked into their front fender. Oh, Jesus, stop, Michael. I mean it. 
and then was sit out here all night? I don't like it any more than you do. I'm worried about the car. The car? They don't know any better. At least slow down, please. Trish was pleading like a young girl with a wish for only the best. She realized her tactic was silly. She hadn't pleaded to anyone since she was very young. It had never found positive reaction with her father. Michael, I'm serious. A rabbit threw himself into the passenger panel of her door. She yelled and grabbed at her lips. Her stomach contracted into a rock. I'm going to be sick, she said, looking at her hands as if they might do something, anything to help her. Michael, meanwhile, pushed the gas pedal a little closer to the floor. Michael, Michael, I'm telling you, this is not going to be good. Michael was completely absorbed, watching the road, trying to make tiny adjustments to spare the rabbits that he could see, which kept darting in front of the car as if struck by a suicidal madness. We'll make it home, and then it'll be over, he said, the world becoming simpler, his mind more clear than it had felt in months. No, please, there's another way, she shouted at him now. Three rabbits darted out at once. Wumpa, wumpa. Trish thought she could hear their little bones cracking. Slow down, Michael. Can't slow down. I'll just hurt them more. Not killing them will hurt them more? Michael couldn't hear her now. He was thinking, you are not the rabbits. You are still alive. Listen to me, Trish screamed. She yelled and screamed at each new little death as the car raced down the dark highway.